Welcome to CinemaScope, a new podcast from True Story FM. Hi, I'm Andy Nelson, co-host of the Next Real Film podcast and Movies We Like. As a passionate movie lover, I've always relished exploring the diverse landscape of cinema. And when you look closer at the taxonomy of genres, subgenres, and film movements, you see an intricate web of interconnections and influences. This complex cinematic family tree spans only 125 years. So how did styles as diverse as the French New Wave, New Queer Cinema, and Ozploitation emerge? What cultural, economic, and technological forces sculpted these styles? And what hidden threads unite them all as part of the same fantastic art form? Those questions sent me on a journey to explore each style and trace their impacts, all to better understand the bridges between different styles. And that led me here to CinemaScope. In each episode, I'll be exploring one particular genre, subgenre, or film movement in depth, inviting expert guests to help us all better understand what defines that style, how it came to be, and what branches it, in turn, influenced on this big cinematic family tree. For example, how did German Expressionism shape American film noir? What's the difference between Westerns, Spaghetti Westerns, and Brazilian Nordesterns? We'll examine the economic and socio-political forces that birthed categories like black exploitation, and we'll spotlight visionary films and directors key to the evolution of different styles. So join me as we explore the complex forces that shape film's evolution and appreciate the diverse creativity possible in its relatively brief history. Let Cinemascope be your guide to understanding this art form we cherish how its genres blend, bounce off each other, and advance a rich tapestry of storytelling innovation. Together, we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this wondrous, shape-shifting medium. Our journey begins soon. Be part of this adventure by subscribing to CinemaScope today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. The Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn, Part 2, is over. Jacob, put your clothes on. I've had a mad habit of underestimating you. Every obstacle you face. I think you couldn't overcome it. And you just did. I didn't expect you to seem so... you? My time as a human was over. But I never felt more alive. I thought we would be safe forever. But forever isn't as long as I'd hoped. I have to report a crime. The Collins, they've done something... Terrible. Walter, thanks for an estimation to mortal child. She was born, not bitten. She grows every single day. Oh my. Creating a mortal child has long been outlawed and is met with the severest form of punishment. Death. What is it, Alice? The Voltori. They're coming for us. Andy, it's Twilight. Twilight! This is it. This is the end. This is the end of Twilight. Oh, it's the end of the saga. The end of an era. We are saga-free, saga-free, and moving into the future. And this was the one, this was the one that I had, I hadn't seen it before, and I had been warned 
about the baby. I'd been warned about the baby. And now I've seen the baby. It's the baby. It's the little girl. It's it's, <laughs> it's every stage. Yes, it is. It's every every stage. stage of Renesmee. Until the oh. very end when they say, you know what? She's hit that age where she's aged into her CG, I think is <laughs> is what they said. Because by the end, it's just Mackenzie Foy. And I was like, oh, Interstellar, there you are. Yeah. Hey, little Murph. Little Murph. That's right. Which was fine. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so we'll get into it. But this is end. This is the last one. This is part two of Breaking Dawn. Just as a gut check, uh, did you did you like it? Did you love it? Are you a real Twilight head now? I don't think I will ever be a real Twilight head. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. But I will say, again, we talked about this a little bit last week in our conversation about Bill Condon and the way that he felt like in the last film it feels like he he is latching on a little bit to that camp that had been in it at the start um when Catherine Hardwick uh kicked things off it felt a little bit like that and this film felt like he went whole hog had a ton of fun with it allowed everybody else to have fun with it i had the best time with this film of all five like on what scale <laughs> well <laughs> it's it still is on a fairly low scale you know i mean i i think if memory serves the the first film thus far twilight has been my highest rank of the bunch and i think it was at a two and a half and uh, okay. so so this um, one could be a two and a half or better what you're saying it it could be two and a half or five uh, well, well let's not uh let's, let's not tempt people with uh with too dark of a future no it's not gonna be quite that big actually i think i stayed at two for twilight so i don't think anything's been over two hearts but i liked it okay. two two hearts two stars with a heart for twilight so you know that's that's where we started so we're on that road is what you're saying okay all right that's very interesting we're on that road very interesting so on a scale of one to two this one's fairly high. <laughs> <laughs> Scale of one to two. This is at the top. Okay. Uh, I. <laughs> there are just things about this. There are some tropes in this um, in, in this movie that uh, that bug me that are not exclusive to Twilight. They they are, uh, and, and so I I struggle with a couple of things. The baby I have trouble with, uh, but overall this was. I think I agree with you that this was the one that was the most fun, like the the payoff of having her, uh, Bella, finally being a vampire and ending up being kind of a badass vampire in the scope of these movies makes this one stand out to me. I think this is I, I think it was fun. I think it was fun. I like her being a vampire. I've been waiting for it for a lot of movies. And the fact that we have a whole movie where she doesn't whine about wanting to be turned into a vampire is a real win. <laughs> That is true. She didn't have to deal with that. She got to celebrate the joys of being a vampire, like beating Emmett at arm wrestling, uh, you know, things like that. It's just like, okay, well, they're 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 having fun. It's just it's goofy. Whatever we're doing here, I I enjoy enough what they're bringing. And honestly, this is the one that gives us the most Michael Sheen, who clearly is having a ball with this yes. movie. I mean, some of the Things that come out of his mouth are so over the top and just crazy. Like when uh, Maggie Grace's character, uh, Arena, 
goes and talks to them and, and they're having that conversation. I can't remember exactly what it is, but there's something that he said where he, it's just like he squealed like with delight in some form. It was just, yeah. it was so funny. I'm like, clearly this is a guy who's understands what they're doing and is having a great time with this movie. And there was so much of him, especially as we get to the, the climax of the film, when we get the big uh, standoff in the baseball field, I just, I was there for it. Like everything with him, I was, I was totally down for. So the fact that we get so much him really helped. Plus we have Lee Pace. We have Rami Malek. Like we have new faces in this that I like that do good things. And I think genuinely they're doing uh, good work in this film. Like, in fact, I'd argue both Lee Pace and Rami Malek are both given more to do than Kellen Lutz ever has been given <laughs> to do in this film. Yet Kellen Lutz seems to yes. get nominated for, I can't remember what, like, you know, be, uh, scene stealer uh, of the, of the you know, whatever that category that came as the Teen Choice Awards. Uh, yeah. yeah, is this, the, uh, once, well, we'll talk about that when we get there. But yes, scene stealer is what I think he's been nominated for every time. And barely does anything. <laughs> like he never even got a backstory. Like we got no. with um, Jasper and uh, uh, Rosalie. Was that the other one we got the backstory with? Yeah, yeah. So, right. so it's that's really that's really <laughs> funny. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So I I think there's a lot for it, and uh, I I think we should we should dig in. Let's do it. All right. Well, when this movie came out, like before, it was rated PG thirteen. Uh, and this time it was for sequences of violence, including disturbing images, some sensuality, and partial nudity. So... Big questions, Andy. Big questions. How about those horny vampires? Really celebrating the horny vampires. But it's the other side of the horny vampires. So last time we had uh, horny vampires that were just married. And now she is well, a... Well, no, no, no. We had horny what? vampire and horny human who were just Yeah, married. no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. And, and the horny human was definitely more horny. I mean, in terms of the horny scale. Yeah. Although he was... Not bad. <laughs> he, he had to restrain himself because he was so horny... Yeah, that he was still breaking things and bruising her, which was which was great. OK, can so, I just can, let's sure. start there, because I was a little confused by he was so horny. He was such a badass in bed that when they were down on the little island getaway off the coast of Brazil, he was destroying the house like that's how horny he was. They go to bed in this movie in their new house, and it's like the gentlest sex uh, ever. And I'm like, what, what, they sh this house should be completely destroyed. She is now a vampire, and clearly she's in her newborn phase where she's extra strong. I mean, she practically crushed him when she hugged him. Why is suddenly now the sex is so gentle and calm? I can tell you exactly why, Andy, because my headcanon says that when the vampires who, let's just say all the other vampire couples live in one house and they decided somehow that Bella and and our pats get to have their own cottage in the woods, their little gingerbread house theory on that. I'll, I'll return to that. What's that? Oh, OK. All right. Well, I think when they when they had that house built, they had it reinforced with like steel and carbon fiber because they're vampires and they know going in the bed has to be reinforced. Everything has to be reinforced. So I let I went ahead and, and rewrote that bit. 
I think that would have been great to have the construction project part. Like, oh, what are we going to do? They're vampires. They're going to be having a lot of vampire sex. And they could break this stuff. So we have to make it double super reinforced. <laughs> double super triple. Yeah. My theory with that, and, and it's because Edward calls out the fact that when, I can't remember, was it with Jasper and Alice when they first got together? that no one could be around them for like a decade, as he said, because they were so horned up all the time. Um, so that this is my theory, is that oh. the vampires know how ridiculously horny they're going to be, and so are, are kind of putting Edward and Bella away. It's like their little sex house. Like, you go over there yeah. for the next decade until you've settled down. Then we can all come back and live together. That's That was my theory. Uh, that is actually, I'll buy that. That's good. I like it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Strike one. Um, check one. Uh, okay, check one. So they have their little house, and now they're now they're married, and so they can have sensual like sex. We're celebrating married people sex is what we're doing. So this here. is no longer honeymoon, um, crazy pounding sex. This is your what you're saying is it now that they're married, it's okay to be a little more sensual and take things slow. I I think take it slow, take it slow. That's what I'm saying. Maybe it's okay, or maybe, Andy, maybe it's like everything else in this movie when they go in vampire mode, and what they're seeing is slow motion sex, but if we were watching, like, really creepy-like through a window, it would be fast motion. <laughs> it would be like when, when they're running, and yeah, suddenly exactly. it goes into, it goes into uh, Bella speed, and she's just like... Running nice and slowly yeah. through the forest. Okay, they're having sex, but also looking out the window and watching like flowers bloom <laughs> and spiders <laughs> cast their webs. <laughs> That's amazing. I, you know, it, whatever. It it just it it. <sighs> Stephanie Meyer clearly makes rules and breaks <laughs> rules, and it's, it gets to be a little ridiculous. And uh, you know, uh, it is what it is. I I don't. I don't mind so much, you know, it is what it is. And in, in terms of, again, this one being kind of the, uh, a return to a little bit more of that campy form, I, I don't mind so much. I just, I, I think I would have appreciated it if at least something was broken <laughs> when they got up. Yeah, right. I, yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Let's talk about Renezme. Renezme is a central piece of the film. Um, and so we have the, the three sort of chapters of Renezme. Can we call her Nessie? <laughs> you, you, you nicknamed the daughter after the Loch Ness Monster. Was that one of the funniest lines ever? <laughs> funniest lines delivered seriously in this movie. And there are a yeah. lot of them. Yeah. Let's just call her Nessie. Because one, Renezme is the stupidest it's name. so stupid. And two, it, it calls out one of the goofiest, uh, as you just said, one of the goofiest... <laughs> <laughs> Yet I cannot meant to be I, serious. That name, like there, I can't think of a. Can you think of another movie name that is so ridiculous, like ridiculously bad? Like some names are ridiculous, but they're character names. Like they're great, but this one is just—it's just a bad name. It's a. Is there somebody like? I'm sorry. I really. I guess I have to take us to roll this back a little bit. That we have a name of a person that might exist in the real world, especially post-Twilight. Like, somebody named their baby Renesmee. You know they did. Oh, I'm sure. In fact, I, I'm going to go, what's, uh, we're going to live do this. What is the um, baby name website? Um, Nameberry.com. Let's go to Nameberry. Popular baby names. I want to search for Renesmee. 
while you're doing this, so <laughs> Brian just posed in the chat room. So if you'd like to join us in the chat room for our live streams, just become a member at thenextreel.com slash membership. And uh, you can join us for our live streams. And Brian just helped me visualize this by posting the 25 worst movie character names ever. And Renesme <laughs> Cullen is number one. <laughs> wow. Really? But that's in a list of Dr. Christmas Jones, Cole Trickle from Days of Thunder, Mutt Williams in Indiana Jones in the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> Don't forget Flipper Purify in Jungle Fever or Bitsy Bloom in The Life of David Gale. Oh, These wow. are amazing. <laughs> Bitsy Bloom. Helen Shivers in I Know What You Did Last Summer. <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, this is your favorite one. Juno McGuff from Juno. (laughs) (laughs) Was that their last name? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Really? Oh, Forrest Gump is on this list. Suddenly, come on. Forrest Gump is one of the best movie names of all time. (laughs) Uh, Oh, here you go. Here you go. Renesme. It's not super popular. In 2022, it's up. Actually, 279 spots from 2021. It is now in spot 976. Okay. So since uh, since 2006, was probably around when the book came out, it has had a definite increase in popularity to the point where now in 2022, 154 babies per million have been named Renesmee. I feel for the for for the people who are named after this particular character in this movie. I hope that. Everything is fine for you, but I wonder what the what the percentage of these people who go by Renee or Esme uh, yeah. in there or Nessie or Net. <laughs> Please tell me that percentage is very low. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, you brought up Renesme. We're talking about yeah. her name, but really, it's because for some reason in this film, they decided to for most of her performance to CG the face onto the performer. Yeah. They sure did. They sure did. And that was very distracting, I found. I had a hard time getting over that. Can you talk about your reaction to CG Baby? <laughs> uh, it was all pretty much laughing every yeah. time Renesmee was on screen, starting with, I think the first time it's when Bella comes and meets Renesmee after waking up the vampire and being all super duper. And and then she gets pissed that uh, Jacob, blah, blah, blah. So it's that whole scene. That's the first time. And every time we see the baby's face, it just like it never is quite lining up like the eyes look slightly to the too far to the left or too far to the or right. Definitely like tilted off axis. Funny. Yeah. That right. I struggled it's, with. It's it's very funky. And that definitely is happening when Charlie comes over and gets to meet Renesmee. And it continues as she is growing up. We see that kind of the montage of her growing. And I think the next time it's when she's catching snowflakes. And in that scene. Like, as she's talking, I'm like, why are they CGing this face on a child? And I, I mean, clearly what they were doing is they were doing kind of probably some form of motion cap with Mackenzie Foy mm-hmm. and putting it onto a younger actress so that they could still have kind of that similar face on a kid. But it just it always ended up looking really freaky. Like, I just I had such a hard time watching that kid. And it just it it drove me nuts having to look at it and the fact that they chose to do it this way it's just like i mean i get it they're trying to create some weird consistency from baby all the way to Mackenzie foy but it just created this 
this uh, freaky thing that just never should have been in existence. It was. It was like a vampire, a monster that should have been staked out of existence. Yes. That is exactly yes. the problem that we had with it. Yeah. It is also um, central to the plot of the movie because of Irina, 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 Maggie Grace, who sees said baby floating in the air catching snowflakes and stuff and thinks that it is an immortal child. Now, apparently, immortal children, we learn in this movie, are spoiled rotten baby brat vampires who were made babies made vampires way too young and don't and and never control themselves and wipe out entire villages that the extent of your understanding of immortal babies immortal vampires well yeah and i i think that really it does kind of work in vampire lore anyway i mean we saw similar uh behavior in Kristen. Um, Dunst, in uh, Kirsten interview. Dunst, yeah, yeah. In interview with vampire, right? So I, I think that I mean it absolutely makes sense in in the scope of vampire rules that we're getting. This is something that I'm like, okay, I can really buy into that one. That really makes sense. Oh, one hundred percent. And I actually, it's one of the first time that we have, times in the series that we have some vampire lore that is consistent with lore <laughs> that we have in other movies, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which is which is an awesome win in this movie <laughs> because uh, it's it is it does give give me back some context that we oh this is still a vampire movie not just a teen vampire Dawson's Creek and uh, so I like that I like that a lot um, now Renesmee of course is not a vampire baby, Renesmee is a different thing. So we spend a little time looking at the problems of vampire babies. Irina goes to the Volturi and says, hey, we got a vampire baby on our hand. I, it's not vampire. It's vampire child. But I like saying vampire baby more. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got a vampire baby on our hand and we Mother. need to snuff it out. And that gets the Volturi interested. And then we start the what I like to call the Pokemon act of this movie. Got to catch them all. We go out to get our witnesses <laughs> right. because the witnesses have to stand up and say, oh, no, this is not a vampire baby. This is a hybrid child. This is some other new problem that we have to deal with. Not what you think it is. And Maggie Grace, you should be really, really embarrassed. The problem. Yeah. One of the issues that I have with this film and in general, I think. And it's it's actually not just this film, but so many films where people refuse to actually just have conversations with each other. Like this yes. film, this series is notorious. We've talked about that a lot over in Marvel Movie Minute with, uh, you know, some of the, the way that some of the heroes behave with each other. It's like if you just talk to each other, then you get through all this without having to fight each other. It's very frustrating. And in this film, it's like. Why did Arena have to run off like a like a, a crazy woman and go dive in the ocean in her heavy coat and to swim away? Like that was ridiculous. Why don't One of the just... funniest moments of the movie. Andy, she's wearing the sheepskin coat. What is she doing she's jumping in the water? She's straight to the bottom. How did she get there uh. if she swam and not be dripping wet standing on that rock? Like what well, she happened? Swam away, maybe I she know. walked. Was she just wandering yeah. the she woods? She walked down from Denali. <laughs> Denali. <laughs> They're the Denali family. I don't I know, but where is this Denali? is the same thing my my wife and I it's up in Alaska. This is the same thing my wife and I uh, my wife when when, it, when Jacob and Bella and all of them are driving up there they're like my wife's like why are they driving it's like one they could fly it's a lot faster they have their own private jets two yeah. they could also run like why yeah. why are they just 
driving up there. It just seems so casual and laid back if they're hurried trying to get these people. But that's crazy. But regardless, the point is, Arena could have just had a conversation with Bella instead of running away like a, a freako. And same yeah. thing later in the film. Like there are so many times these characters could have figured things out if they had just talked about it instead of just like walking away or just fighting. Like when they show up at the Denali family's house and they see the kid, like their first reaction is to just attack instead of like, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? It's, I don't know. It's just ugh, so frustrating. But, but does that, I mean, that fits so clearly into the overall vibe of all of these movies. Like if you take away the don't talk, just attack or run away thing from these movies, then you have no central conflict, right? It's it, it like, it, it doesn't exist. And so the movies need this kind of flagrant disregard for conversation uh, in, in order to be in order to work. That is true. Which is fine. I mean, it's fine. I find it frustrating. I can see how a lot of people wouldn't. I can see how a lot of people would who are really into the movie would see this and think, oh, OK, this is just perfect because I love the drama and I need this to happen to fulfill my mental model of the movie. And I have no judgment against that because this is first and foremost a romance action movie and it's great. Uh, like, it's fine. for It fits that mold. It's not made for me, but I get it. Yeah. But that does lead to... The, the collection sequence, right? Because they have to have witnesses. And it turns out both sides need witnesses. And the witnesses are the other vampires who know the truth and the vampires who think they know the truth. And they have to stand up against each other. But it you'd think it leads to some sort of trial or discussion that witnesses are going to stand up and have a conversation. And I think Carlisle thinks that's what's going to happen. But it's not really the 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 plan because again vampires don't talk they fight and so we need them to fight and they say that pretty much right yeah, i mean they right. say that arrow notoriously even when people present the facts to him he kills them anyway like he goes through with his decision what he's already decided he does it anyway because that's the way he operates and that's pretty much the way that I guess that they're expecting that, right? That's that was that whole setup that we have. Yeah. So it's uh, and, and so that's what we get. But the the deal, the difference is Alice had taken herself off the board for a long time and she shows up. Yeah, she and Jasper. Right. Yes. And then we have we have the setup. This is this is where I I start to have a little bit of a, a problem with the the fork where in one head, I'm watching this movie and I really like the big final action scene. We have a lot of wolves, great fur, and lots of fighty fight with all of the, the superhero vampires who each have their own unique ability now That's that they've really heavied up on. Vampires have Boy, crazy they. abilities. They sure do. Um, and And so we see the fight play out, which I think it's... I think it's fun. I think there are some really good surprises, you know, when when vampires get killed, like we we really get to feel, oh, God, that that's a bold move to show us, you know, Carlisle getting his back broken. Like that's that's big. Head, beheaded. Yeah. Beheaded. Right. He, he gets yeah. his head knocked off. So all of that, I think, is is fun, bold, brave storytelling and filmmaking. OK. Do you want me to respond to that or are you, you going to do your other fork? Go ahead. Why don't you go ahead and respond so far? Okay. I loved the fight. I had so much fun. I was I was laughing uh hysterically because it was so goofy. The fact that like 
the way to kill the vampires is to pop their heads off. And it just, it was like, it was like they should have had a, a toy line of, of, of the figures for all of the kids to play with, just like we did when we were kids where the heads mm-hmm. just pop off. <laughs> because like that, like if you that's squeeze like, them, <laughs> yeah, like if you, squeeze, if you squeeze it, the head pops off. Like it was so funny just watching them all get their heads popped off. Like I was laughing hysterically because it was so goofy seeing this. I was a little disappointed we didn't get any of the Transformer breakdowns that we had in uh, Eclipse uh, when, when they'd smash each other and they'd explode into silver bits. Into silver bits. Yeah. I was a little disappointed with that. But I love the fact that for the vampires, it was all like, let's just keep ripping heads off. It. I was laughing hysterically. Plus when Rami Malek like splits the earth open and we have I know. like a lava pit in the bottom that they're all throwing each other into. <laughs> that magma I, is deceptively <laughs> close to the crust of the earth, Andy. Never forget. Yes, right, right. If we learn well, nothing from right Rami on, Malek. You do live right on the crust right, where you are. Right. So it's and so I don't know. I found it to be funny. Even the powers like I was laughing at, like Bella <laughs> in no time develops this power to expand her shield to protect people from, uh, you know, from people like uh, Dakota Fanning, whose uh, power, as we've talked about before, is causing pain on people. And and I don't know, it was her brother, Cameron Bright, who could I don't know, it was like he was making black clouds of uh paral paralyzation or something he's the one who can remove your senses he can remove your uh, sight hearing smell taste with his little cloud fingers yeah and then of course on the good guys side you have the embarrassingly dressed uh brazilian tribal women oh my god who, one of whom can make you see something totally different like you're in the forest or you can't see anything or whatever and so so it was i don't know i i just thought it was all really funny and i had a great time with everything involved in the fight uh like they were it was no holds barred carlisle gets beheaded uh jasper gets beheaded it was just like it was a free-for-all and i was here for it all the way down to the final fight between bella edward and aro like that, that that was actually a really fun fight between the three of them yes i i totally agree yeah and the other two uh, i don't know what you call the three heads of the of Volturi it was R.O. Caius and um Marcus I think were the three yeah but like when like I enjoyed the way that they did all of that with all of them um like they they were clearly having fun designing the fight to be really big and over the top yeah no I I totally agree so where do you stand on the new heart ending the fact that we find out it was all a dream vision you know I didn't care it was it, when it happened. I'm like, oh, of course we're doing this. This is Stephanie Meyer. We don't need to end the movie in violence. Yeah. Like I, I felt like it was a very it was the safest of safe endings for someone like her to write into a novel that made everything OK. Like we're uh, it's all just in your head and now we can talk it out and now you know what the future holds and everything will be OK. It was super safe. Um, but, you know, it wasn't handled in a way that I felt. It didn't work. I actually thought, I'm like, you know what? I can buy into this and I'm okay. I like the the excuse for a big fight. I love that, that we get to have it. And I understand the intention behind the it was all a dream model. 
I didn't, it, it just cements why this movie wasn't made for me because they built up a lot of intensity and a lot of like, it, it, like the being able to say, Hey audience, you're going to grieve. This is the fourth part of this major thing or the fifth movie. And you're going to now feel some things. And it's because we've had characters that you've been around all along and we're going to lose them. They're going to die. And when everybody just sort of, it's like, oh, thank God, now I've seen the truth and we've talked it out and everything's fine. We're going to walk away. There will be no battle today. I was like, you just sucked all the intensity out of the final act. And I, I didn't I didn't care for it. And that's fine. I, I you know, I I feel like it's I, I tend to think it was all a dream. Like there are some people who have real problems with time travel in movies because it sets up no rules. For me, the it was all a dream trope is problematic. I just don't like it it at all like it's it i I don't care for it clearly it's one of those tropes that is by nature a a default problem because once it's been done it's kind of it becomes an easy out for anything that follows it yes and that's the issue with it as a trope and there are times where you could say it works better than others like i mean i think jacob's ladder is a great example of it working really well but you know there are issues where it does become an easy way out for so many things and that's that is a danger of it but i can't say it wasn't set up in this we have alice who can see the future we have aro who can touch your hand and see what you're seeing and so the fact that the two of them come together and he sees the future that she has seen i it like it's there it's set up i so because of that i'm like well i can't argue that it it wouldn't make sense yeah, it's just the fact that there's like it it totally absolves the third act of stakes. Like there's there's nothing to lose at this point. We've seen this massive action sequence that has no stakes because nobody has to live with uh learning anything from their choices. Uh, and uh, like I I hate that kind of. Like it's just why then why are we here? Right. If we could just wait, like I I love that they put a bunch of money into this final sequence and gave us a bunch of cinematic art and pixels flying around fake things, throwing things at fake things and heads popping off like that was that was the dopamine level of excitement. But there was no weight to it. Ultimately, like they just that's it's fine. It's fine. But it's ultimately weightless. Brian's in the chat room. He commented how there this is a different uh, difference from the book that in the book. They do just have a conversation and there is no actual fight at all, which, I mean, to a certain extent is even more Stephanie Myers, where yeah. you know we didn't mention Alice and Jasper. They bring another example of a vampire human hybrid to the battle. They bring him with his aunt from Brazil, again, Brazil, uh, up to talk about how he um, isn't immortal. He has grown up when he hit seven is when he kind of was full grown. And that's the place he's been for, you know, 150 years now. And so they are okay with that. And they say, Oh, okay, well, everything's good. And that's it. The vampire or the Volturi say, all right, you're all good and walk away. So, I mean, to that end, would you have preferred it to end like that? Or would it have felt anticlimactic? Oh, totally anticlimactic. Absolutely. No. And that's not a cinema choice, right? You can maybe get away with it in the book. 
if you're already a fan of the book, that making that kind of choice actually, I think, is probably in tone with the rest of the writing. Nobody brings an army dressed like Death Eaters to this snow and doesn't end up in a fight somehow, right? Like these <laughs> these guys had their their fighting cloaks on, so we have to show them fight. And again, that's what I mean. Like it was fun to watch because you get a little dopamine push out of it, and there are some good physical gags and good moments of of head popping violence. And it's better than just let's talk it out for in terms of third act resolution. And we get what's his name smiling like Aro's like cheeky smiles are amazing. Michael Sheen is absolutely just when he steps out in front of the group and has that conversation like to to his team about how, oh, it's okay. although she could pose danger like that whole thing, like just he has so many looks through that whole moment. I'm just like, Michael Sheen, you are my hero. You make this franchise worth it because you are a pure delight to watch in this. Holy cow, is he great? Yeah, no, he he knew what movie he was in. And I the whole time I was watching this, I was thinking, I can't wait for the award session. I hope Andy finds some sort of award for Michael Sheen that was (laughs) best person ever in the movie ever. Like, because he was so fun to watch every time he was on screen. Absolutely. (laughs) He's awesome. Um, So. You know, this movie does level up on on the Quileutes, you know, because there's so apparently there's so many vampires now in the area that now we don't just have a couple of of werewolves. We have like, oh, I yeah. think they said 16 ultimately on screen at one point. There's, yeah. When we're talking about lore, I mean, there's obviously all these additions to the vampire lore, how suddenly everybody has all these. They're all superheroes now. Everybody's it's like this superhero. is getting ridiculous with the vampires. Like what Electro, is electricity? I know yeah. it's just it's Sandman, just, uh, uh, which again is why I, I thought it was just so fun because it was just so nonsensical. I was having fun with it. But anyway, the the we haven't really talked a lot about the the werewolves at this point in the Quileute. And yeah, it's this is an addition to their lore that when they are uh, when there's a lot more um danger in the area or whatever you'll get more numbers of the wolf of people suddenly compelled as they say in the film they are just compelled to turn like yeah. what? they're compelled <laughs> like really yeah i thought it was like this weird genetic thing that just happened in a few people but apparently they all have it and it's just suddenly now because of the the overwhelming number of vampires more of them are compelled the turn uh yeah <laughs> yeah like i sometimes am compelled to eat twinkies even though i shouldn't and i'm able to restrain but these guys are not and that's okay it's fine for the movie and the big fight we need more wolves in the big fight they're great i like all the jumping and catching like i love the handoffs where a vampire will throw a bad vampire into the air and the wolf will catch it and rip its head off like th- that stuff is really satisfying for me like it's just i i love that the because it's like fetch it, yeah. It's, well, I it's love the feeding of Jane. Um, you know, when when Alice catches Jane, um, Dakota Fanning's character, and like drags her up to, I'm assuming it was Sam who comes up to her, and she just sees the wolf approaching her. Like this is just this is the best. Like this is yeah. just <laughs> clearly yeah. they just were enjoying what they were doing with these people. So I had a great time with that. It is a great time. I you know there is like we I don't know that we can we can just have the conversation which uh, out at least noting that continuing our conversation from movies twilight movies past there are problematic interpretations of indigenous people and people of color in this movie we totally get it it's a it's laughable and um and so you know 
let let's take this movie for what it is. It's a cartoon. Yeah, and it's very much it's so. made it's made with a worldview that that is uh, that dated itself the moment it was released. But yeah, the fact that everybody who came up from Brazil, I mean, I understand that oh, like the God. two that they bring up are are you know from whatever tribe that they they got in the Amazon, and then the other two that Alice and Jasper come up are I I don't know I thought they said they were from the same tribe, but maybe I'm misunderstanding what the tribes were. But anyway, they're all wearing like next to nothing in the snow. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, just and, and well, they're just vampires like they're all... and they don't feel anything. They yeah. can get away with that because That's they don't right. feel anything. They're, cold. they're all cold anyway. anyway. They still could it just yeah, lots of problems with that. Yeah, can we can we talk a little bit more about um, imprinting? <laughs> sure, imprinting. Then right. So imprinting is, <sighs> I guess, it's a thing that you know it, it is definitely a thing from the universe. It exists like babies imprint on parents. Yeah, apparently yeah well um, okay and in this one jacob says that he doesn't really have a choice who he's imprinting oh god like how did what i thought yeah. he specifically chose and then as another example of why don't you actually use words and say things to bella like when <laughs> bella was attacking him at the beginning like he just he's not saying part of the reason that all of that happened is because people were coming to kill your child and yeah. by imprinting I saved her life. Like that never comes but out of his that, mouth. But is that like is that what really happened? Well, apparently not cuz he doesn't have any choice. He didn't have any choice. He just sees a thing and he's like oh. that's what, well that's what he says in this movie. Yeah. In the last movie though, it didn't seem that way, did it? Like, it seemed like he specifically chose to imprint on Renezme so that he could then protect her from Sam and the others who are coming to kill her. Like, that's how I read it when I watched the last film. Oh, I didn't read it that way. So let's go back. Let's go back through several movies. So the first time we're introduced to the concept of imprinting when Bella's on the back of Jacob's motorcycle, right? I think that was their our first conversation. He's talking about He's, he starts introducing this concept of of imprinting. Yeah. And my read of it now, after he imprints on on baby Nessie, is that he was like he thought he was imprinting on Bella. Like he was like he had a crush, but it wasn't really imprinting. And then he sees Renezme and he's like, boom, that baby vampire is up in my life. And he realizes what imprinting really is because he didn't have a choice. It was like, woo, blue sky beam of imprinting. And, and that now he doesn't have a choice. He just is, he's a wolf man that is forever tied to the baby. I didn't, I didn't get the fact that he had any agency in it at all, that he didn't understand it because he hadn't been through it. And that this is another allegory for, um, you know, going uh, puberty, one true love, whatever, that he's, he's finally come of age <laughs> to marry a baby. I, <laughs> I like your read of it, uh, because I didn't see it that way when I saw the last film. I thought, and again, it was just maybe me just completely misreading the film, but it seemed to me that when they were like all of the wolves were coming to surround the house, he came into the house and he looked at Renesme and imprinted on her because it, it seemed like there must be some form of agency because you don't want to accidentally imprint on somebody. And it's not accidental, but you don't want to imprint on somebody who just has no interest in you. Like that's the thing with imprinting. 
randomly that just makes no sense to me. It's like, how how do you like it's stupid? Like, why is that a thing that makes any sense whatsoever? If you're imprinting on somebody, it should be somebody, you know, somebody who likes you so that once you've imprinted, now you can actually have this relationship and you're going to be there and committed to them as opposed to. Uh, like randomly seeing somebody crossing the street, like, whoa, my God, I just imprinted on that stranger who's but- <laughs> crossing the street to the grocery store. I've got to follow that person for the rest of my life. <laughs> oh, God. No, you're absolutely right. But I think this is the problem and why the concept of imprinting doesn't hold. Because the, when I hear about imprinting, it's usually like baby ducks, right? It's like ducklings imprint on their mother so that they know where the hell their mother is at any given time. Because let's be honest, ducks kind of like, I don't know, this is probably speciesist, but ducks look alike a lot of times. They're like, you know, ducks. And I can't tell a duck apart. Maybe imprinting is that sort of chemical, hormonal, emotional bond that ducks and ducklings have that's parent-child, caregiver and caretaker, right? Like, it is, those are the same thing. Isn't that a weird thing about English? Caregiver and carry. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's the imprinting. It's a protective thing. So I don't think there's any notion that, uh, or there shouldn't be any notion that, that he's just going to imprint, like, imprinting on a, somebody with a relationship, like, like, how is that? That we're now taking this parent-child metaphor and we're putting it toward couples as a descriptor of one true love. And that's where I think it falls – it kind of falls apart. And so it really falls apart because of the nature of their final – the sort of coda of the movie, which is Jacob is imprinted on the baby. But the baby, thank God, it grows fast because eventually it grows into their marriage. Oh, my God. It's um, – it just doesn't – it's gross. It's well, yeah, it's it's incredibly disturbing. I mean, yes, we already have Jacob. I mean, we already have Edward, who's a hundred and something marrying Bella. Yeah. But then you have Jacob, who's, I don't know, 20 something or uh, he's probably 18, probably close in age to Bella. And he wants to or he imprints on this brand new baby who initially in the last one, I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's more like as a protector, he's going to be like the godfather. I'm like, okay, he's the baby's godfather. I'm going to be around for your life and I'm going to always take care of you. Right. But no, he says to Edward, so can I start calling you dad now? I'm like, no, 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 oh, no, no. God. You just took God, that the wrong no. direction. What are you no, doing? you can't. <laughs> you can't ever do that. Oh my God. <laughs> just I can't even believe that Stephanie Meyer wrote that. <laughs> I was like horrified when that came out of his mouth. Oh, oh it's exhausting. It's so exhausting. This whole bit is so rough. Uh, so, oh, yeah. Anyway, I think that's everything we need to say about imprinting. <laughs> <laughs> like, have you have you read any uh, essays that that really celebrate the notion of imprinting as displayed in this movie? Like, has it become part of like the cultural gestalt of vampires? Uh, well, it'd be werewolves. I haven't I haven't seen any vampires movies since or werewolves. You're right, it's werewolves. <laughs> I haven't seen any werewolves since. Well, let's see. Joe Johnston didn't use it in The Wolfman when he made that. I didn't. I don't remember Benicio del Toro or Anthony Hopkins imprinting on anybody, but. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I would have approved that movie. Oh, goodness. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. No, 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 no. Nobody should do that. No, stop imprinting. Mother and child. It's fine. That's that's where we draw the line. Uh, well, anyway. Yeah. Okay. So, what else? Uh, that's the, is that the end? I mean, it, we've talked about the the big final speech of what's his name. Oh, and then we have the end of the movie, which is... 
th- was this the, so this is the final they're in the field again and uh she now that she's a vampire realizes that i guess her protective mind shield is something she's had all along even as a human and that's why edward could not see her thoughts feel her and feel her thoughts and see her feelings <laughs> all of the all of the things and now that she's a vampire she's learned how to control it through epic epic mind battle that didn't happen uh-huh she is able to drop her mind shield so that he can actually see her thoughts i don't think she was dropping her mind shield she was the way that it seemed she was downright projecting her her memories of him into his head oh this was a memory injection that's what i thought because he's like do it again and she's like we we've got plenty of time so i thought i thought yeah he just wanted another do hit it again. <laughs> <laughs> this this whole series is just ripe with weird codependence and i it's just awful but when you say things like that like, like inject me with your mind mind juice do it again do it again it's like awful it's just awful i know it's, it's strange days right here i'm your magic man it is so strange days. <laughs> that's exactly right right this is like the next movie that we see after this is like there's a talking refrigerator in this movie. Like you know what I mean? Like that's where we go. It's just a just the long road of addiction and maybe recovery, but maybe not. Yeah. yeah. Maybe their heads pop off. And so we end in a field. Typewriters talking out of their anuses. I will <laughs> I will say, of all of the movies, this one has the best opening and closing credits sequences. I was actually really into the the credits. I thought they were really good. I like the way they move things around and the CG of the leaves in the beginning. And at the end, they give you the character parade in black and white, which I thought was <laughs> was really fun. I feel like, yeah, I feel like Lord of the Rings really kicked something off when they're like, we're, cl- we're concluding the saga of this entire story. So we're going to have the little montage of faces through the entire series at the end of this movie. I, I liked that, too. I, I like that in films when they celebrate the end of something like, in that way. Totally. Absolutely. I just remembered I had I had my finger up because I wanted to just sit, call out one thing that really did bug me about oh, the excellent the ending, the, the faux mental battle that we have. Okay. That entire thing is from should be from Michael Sheen's perspective, from Arrow's perspective, because yes. he is the one who is seeing this through Alice's future vision. And now I can I can accept that he's seeing anything that's happening on the battlefield because it's the battlefield. He could be looking at it. Mm-hmm. But when we jump to the forest and we're now following Jacob running off with Renesmee and there's that one vampire who's chasing after them and they have to take them down for whatever reason. It was the it was the most nonsensical dead end of a story that we had in that entire bit because it's like okay and then jacob beats the vampire and then they keep running why did we even need to do any of that it was really dumb but none of that could have been seen by michael sheen and so having that included in this whole end that was i think the the one element of it that i i thought was breaking it 
that that was that was the one. That was that was the thing. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm really really glad we figured that out. I know. I just I did I uh, just to celebrate that final speech where the half vampire half uh, weirdly exploited person of color shows up and says I'm a half vampire like I can drink blood or eat chicken. Like I thought that was I like his little speech. He's very stoic. <laughs> he is. He is. And his aunt is just like, "Yeah, it's true." Yeah. He can. She's just checking like, all the yeah, time. Yeah, so what? He's a good boy. <laughs> I know. I know I'm an exploited person of color, and I'm, I don't care. I don't have any lines. Whatever. Just dress me <laughs> up as a it. prop. I'm a yep. prop. Oh. Yeah, hey, I want to go just, back to your comment on the opening and closing credits, because I oh, the opening sure. credits, I, I weirdly noted this, and I wondered, of all things if what you would think of this in particular because they did an interesting thing where the screen was all red and the text came in as red and then like go white and and they were kind of doing that through the whole open which i thought was cool but did you notice the font change when the letters would go from red to white and and that they didn't line up anymore (laughs) because i was like it's kind of i i i get it if they're keeping the same font and the letters are just changing colors, but they completely changed fonts. They changed the, the, they didn't line up anymore. And it kind of threw me. I'm like, it's weird that they chose to do it that way. I'm really glad you, you noted that because it's a really funny thing. It goes from when they're red, it's a classic serif, serif font, font, right. And it goes to a super modern sans serif font. Yes. And it doesn't make sense to me it actually doesn't make sense to me because they did it for characters that were for actors that are playing non vampires. Like I, t- I actually kind of get it. If you're, if you're doing a vampire story and you want to like typographically mark the passage of epics, uh, like I, it's, it's kind of a fun way to do it, but you're right. The, they didn't line up appropriately. Really what should have happened is they should have just, just taken all of the serifs and smoothed them out on the same typeface, like the same weighted typeface. That would have been, been better. Instead, they just went to like, I think an Avenir next and just adjusted the kerning and it doesn't work. And it's not like, like the letters don't even line up over the top of where like over the, the exactly. M suddenly is down where the S was or something, you know, it's like, <laughs> Very, very odd. A very small point, but something I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Okay. But outside of that, technically, I thought the film, like, again, Bill Condon, I think, um, we haven't really talked about him as a director much. I mean, I, I thought he did a good job here. Uh, do you like Bill Condon generally as a director? I think so. I mean, has he done anything to me that really makes me not like him? No. Uh, my first recollection of him, I didn't see Candyman Farewell to the Flesh. Gods and Monsters is the first thing that I really know him from, and I really enjoyed that. I thought he did a great job with that. And Kinsey, I missed Dreamgirls, but I heard he did a good job with that. And then other than some like TV stuff, he, he did these two films. He did Tilda, The Fifth Estate, which got torn apart. He did Mr. Holmes, which I quite enjoyed. Beauty and the Beast, which you know I think was good for what it was. And the Good Liar, which I missed, but I also heard good things about. So I, I, I mean, heard I, great things about the Good Liar and and Gods and Monsters. I mean, what a great time to celebrate Gods and Monsters with Brendan Fraser's performance in there. Now that the whale is out and getting such good reviews, so uh, I think it's great. Um, and you know, Mister Holmes was a really interesting take on that lore. Um, I and you know, Beauty and the Beast. I, like the question is not is is that or is it not a good movie? I mean, it has it has some good things about like like movies. It's controversial whatever i get it the question is what is disney's strategy for making these live action remakes that are just generally not 
great. Uh, I don't love them anyway. So I, I don't know. Beauty and the Beast. I feel like he is a, a capable, a strong filmmaker. And I thought Dreamgirls Girls was probably at the top of my list. Oh, OK. Well, I should check that one out then, huh? Yeah. I haven't seen it. So, yeah, I, I like him. I think he fit into this. And as I said before, he seemed to get the campiness and seemed to go all in with this particular film. Yeah, for sure. For sure, for sure. Did you happen to notice who else was kind of consistent across the board on the franchise, crew-wise? No, I didn't. I mean, we talked about Carter Burwell being dropped for Howard Shore at one point. uh, But but Carter Burwell back for this one and is great, although I did, we didn't note, uh, once again, we have a piano playing Edward Cullen Ah, now teaching... Nessie, the theme to the movie. <laughs> I I laugh. I get every time that happens, it cracks me up. It's so stinking funny. Um, obviously, uh, Melissa Rosenberg wrote all five adaptations, um, generally produced by the same group. Different DPs. Um, for the see Elliot Davis in the first did the first film. Javier um, Aguirre-Sarobe did the second and third, and Guillermo Navarro did four and five. Um, edited all over the place a whole bunch of different editors across the board yeah so it's kind of funky that they there's not a lot of consistency but i think the fact that carter burwell's music generally stays consistent through it except for when howard shore didn't seem to use any of the themes i think that really helps tie things together strongly like i like that bill condon came back to him for it because again it just feels like the music of this franchise Mm mm-hmm yeah, for sure. I I actually I really really like the music for the and and to your point. I mean, it feels like the music for the franchise. It has been it, it was a I, I think largely a mistake to move away from from Burwell for the other uh, sort of three movies in there, two movies in there. Um, yeah, I didn't mind so much that uh, Alexandre Desplat came in for the second because he at least continued Burwell's themes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would like to see what Burwell did if he was on a for all five, but I just don't know why Howard Shore seem to just completely dismiss it wildly out of place yeah yeah Yeah. all right uh all right well um i guess that's it so we'll be right back but first our credits The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by Chris Mason, Oriel Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at the-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. Andy, I don't think there are any sequels. Well, Ugh. they are talking about some spin-offs. I mean, we we already mentioned that, uh, at least I think we did, that the 50 Shades of Grey is inspired by this franchise. So that <laughs> we can all be thankful for came from this. But uh interestingly, um they've been talking for a while about doing some sequ- sequels, but only if Stephanie Meyer wanted to do one. And then they started talking about spinoffs. And as of just a few weeks ago, like I think uh, at the time of recording this, uh, it would have been right before Thanksgiving, November 24th, they actually started talking about that they're working on a a spinoff series 
focused on Rosalie. What? Yeah. What's up with that? Like, I don't know. I mean, I know we had her whole flashback in um, in Eclipse, but like, does that warrant a whole story, like a whole TV series about her life no. as a vampire or something? Like, I just don't get why suddenly that's a character that we need a whole series from. Well, to to this point, as a parallel, I watched the first episode of Bumper in Berlin after our uh, Did Pitch you? Perfect series. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> so I feel like th- I bring it up because this feels very similar to that. Like you're you, maybe you picked the wrong character. <laughs> like maybe I don't know. Maybe that's maybe it doesn't have the pull that you think it does. At least it's not Kellen Lutz. <laughs> <laughs> That would be the funniest. By the way, did you notice how actually different... Rami Malik that we get a whole series <laughs> yeah. on Rami Malik's character? Did you notice how different uh, Kellen Lutz and um, Peter Facinelli looked in this film? Like both of them seemed like like Kellen Lutz looked like he'd bulked up a lot from the fourth film to the fifth film. Yeah, and uh, Peter Facinelli just his face looked a little heavier. Like I, he looked a little more worn down. I'm like, oh, those two don't look yeah, quite they like they <laughs> like they came straight from the end of the last film that's funny all right okay uh so how to do at the uh in award season did did michael sheen get that award that i really want him to have gotten <laughs> well well this film had 21 wins with 15 other nominations a lot of love for this particular film, and you'll be happy to know uh, that he did actually get some awards. At the Empire Cinema's Alternative Movie Awards, this film won for Best On-Screen Couple, Best On-Screen Kiss, Best Fight Scenes, Best Film Villain, there it is for Aro, good old Michael Sheen, and Best Male Body, Pete. That's right, oh. Jacob Black, stripping down for Charlie. <laughs> Uh, the Golden Raspberries, it won for Worst Picture. Pattinson was nominated for Worst Actor. Uh, Kristen Stewart won for Worst Actress uh, for this and Snow White and the Huntsman. Taylor Lautner was nominated for Worst Supporting Actor. Ashley Green was nominated for Worst Supporting Actress. Mackenzie Foy and Taylor Lautner won for Worst Screen Couple, beating out Pattinson and Stewart. And <laughs> also won for Worst Prequel, Remake, Ripoff, or Sequel. Bill Condon won for Worst Director. Uh, the script was nominated for Worst Screenplay. It won for Worst Screen Ensemble. Um, at the MTV Movie Awards, Taylor Lautner won for Best Shirtless Performance. And at the Teen Choice Awards, uh, it swept the place, winning Choice Movie Romantic Actress for Stewart. Best Scene Stiller, Kellen Lutz. There it is. Taylor Lautner won for Sci-Fi Fantasy Actor. Uh, Kristen Stewart won for Sci-Fi Fantasy Actress. It won Best Sci-Fi Fantasy. Pattinson won for Best Romance Actor. And it won for Best Romance Film. All right. All right. So much love. So tell me why, then. So much love. Tell me why it's getting, Rosalie's getting attention for a spinoff, Andy. How'd it do at the box office? Well, for Condon's second part of his conclusion to this franchise, he had a budget of $136.2 million, or $152.5 million in today's dollars. The highest in the franchise. This movie opened November 16th, 2012, opposite Rise of the Guardians, Life of Pi, Red Dawn, Silver Linings Playbook, and Anna Karenina. It again took the number one spot, and again, 
only stayed in the top 10 for five weeks. Clearly a vampire's curse of some sort with this franchise. But like all the rest, it did well, earning $292.3 million domestically and $555.7 million internationally for a total gross of $949.8 million in today's dollars. That makes it the second highest grossing film in adjusted dollars behind New Moon, then Eclipse, Part One, uh, Breaking Dawn Part One, and last but not least, the original Twilight. This one ended with an adjusted profit per finished minute of six point nine million, the highest in the franchise. But with that high a budget, it's actually second to last when it comes to the profit to cost ratios. Wow. Well, in hindsight, Andy, are you glad we talked about the Twilight movies? <sighs> you know, they are. Uh, it's a difficult franchise to look at because I think it's not. It, it it has such bad representation for good relationships, healthy relationships. I would not watch this with my daughter. I think that yeah. she doesn't need to see uh, this sort of, uh, you know, heartbreak and pining for somebody at such ridiculous levels in the way that she's being treated by these men and stuff. Like, I, I just don't like that. And I wouldn't choose to show this to her. And so... I'm glad I saw it, though. I mean, I should say I'm glad I at least finished it. I had seen the first three. I just never ended up jumping into the last two. Um, it's uh, it's a kind of a terrible franchise, and um, but it's entertaining enough. And yeah. to that end, I was entertained. I'm really glad that it, we finished off with Bill Condon in this film because it ended for me on a high note. Um, but a lot of me feels as I look at it now i'm like i just don't know if this is a good representation of of cinema for people moving forward yeah i i think we're in agreement good representation of cinema or relationships or you know communication <laughs> yeah right so <laughs> right. many so many things so so many things that uh are are struggling with but but i but uh, i'll just say uh, now after watching them in such close proximity to one another uh i i think um i'm glad i watched them i'm glad i feel like we i understand them uh, and I will say I'm not going to go back and read the books. Not even for for sleepy time, huh? Well, and let me let me ask you this question: Did you think because we the way we recorded this and watched these movies, you had a sort of interstitial break inter, of international travel? So we did one, two, three, and four, one right back to back, and then waited now two weeks or more to do this last one. Did you watch this just like last night, right, as we record this? Correct. I did. Okay. So do you think it was, do you think that impacted the way you watched the movie? No. <laughs> okay, I don't either. I actually watched it right away. After we finished that show, I think last night, the that night, I went back and watched it. So it's been now two weeks since I've watched it. And I think we largely agree <laughs> yeah, where, the movie, yeah. where the movie struggles. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. That's it. That is it. Well, we will be right back for our ratings. But first, here's the trailer for next week's movie, W.S. Van Dyke's After the Thin Man, kicking off our return to the Thin Man series. Well, you see, it's New Year's Eve, Aunt Catherine. The old battle act. Shut up. Excuse me, Aunt Catherine. I was talking to the dog. This is Aunt Hattie. How are you? Don't mumble, young man. Don't mumble. How are you? She's dead. You're telling me. You got a gun? No. What'd you do with it? 
I never had one. Miss Burns has a brother who has a gun. If that little rat tries to hang anything on me, I'll... You leave my brother out of this. Take it easy, take it easy. That's what they want. They want to get you at each other's throats. Just answer what you want to, and don't let them get you. I can't stand that shyster. I was beginning to suspect that. Yet. Any complaints or suggestions? Few. You don't scold, you don't nag, and you look far too pretty in the mornings. All right, I'll remember. Must scold, must nag, mustn't be too pretty in the mornings. Letterboxd. Andy, it's time for our reviews. All right, let's do it. What are you going to do? Well, we talked about this. You, you, we teased it a little bit at the start. This is kind of possibly... I, I certainly had the most fun watching this of the entire series. Is it a two-star and a heart like Twilight, or is it a little higher? I, I feel like there was enough to keep me going in this one. I'm going to give it two and a half and a heart. That's where I'm going to go out on this one. I think my... I don't even remember what my star rating was for Twilight. Was it two? Yes, we both were at two stars and a heart. We were both at two. I think, um, yeah, I, I think I, I think I'm okay leaving this one at two uh, and a heart. God, that baby's bad. Yeah, but <laughs> the baby. But hers. But no, you're right. So I'm going to go with two and a heart. That's what I'm okay. going to do. It's going to be All fine. Right. Well, that will give us an average of two and a quarter with a heart over on Letterboxd, so we'll round it up to two and a half. And that's where it will sit when we rank it there. Uh, remember, you can get your pro or patron membership at Letterboxd with the discount code NEXTREAL, or just go to thenextreel.com slash Letterboxd. It works for renewals as well. And speaking of uh, memberships, we also have our own membership. Um, if you would like to support us, you get early access to shows, you get a monthly member bonus episode, this month, it's going to be Jaws 3D as we jump into the Jaws franchise. And you, we do uh, a, you know, a number of other things. We do periodic flick chart re-rankings. We do retake episodes after each series. All sorts of bonus content that members get. Plus extra uh, channels in the Discord community. So if you are interested, you can learn more at thenextreel.com slash membership. So what did you think about the Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2? We want to know. Hop into the Show Talk channel in Discord where we will be talking about the movie this week. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Letterboxd giveth, Andrew. As Letterboxd always doeth. I think we just, I think we split, right? We went high and low. Highsies, lowsies. I think we did. I think we did. Um, do, do you want to go first? Mine's kind of long. Does that impact you at all? Mine's kind of long, too. Oh, okay. Then why don't you go first? We'll climb the ladder. All right. I got a half star by Haley, who has this to say. 
I'm so close to giving this film five stars, and it's just there's no punctuation. Periodic, all caps, though. So that's where I'm going with this. <laughs> I'm so close to giving this film five stars. Honestly, it's so amazing. It's like everyone just went, F it. And this was the masterpiece they created. Seriously, I can't believe some of the stuff that goes down. The CGI baby, that page 13 sex scene that's literally just loads of dissolves and extreme close-ups. The amount of vampire beheadings. Oh, my effing God. Rami Malek and Lee Pacer in this movie. I can't believe it. That weird goth filter they put Put over every frame that makes everyone look so pale and blue. You nicked me, named my daughter after the Loch Ness monster. Charlie Swan not noticing that his granddaughter has grown seven years in a couple of months. How is it that these movies have like three million seven hundred ninety-two thousand one hundred seventy-four vampires in it, and not one of them is LGBT? Like honestly, if Alice and Rosalie were a lesbian couple, a vampire couple, I would stand this film so hard. Bella and Edward snogging in a meadow more times than I can effing count. The it was all just a dream cliche. <laughs> <laughs> that damn Christina Perry song that makes me so emo. Michael Sheen's laugh, I'm dying. Everyone giving Bella human lessons, even though she's only been a vampire for a day. Jacob literally falling in love with a child and then just being like, it's a wolf thing. OMFG, I really wish the franchise hadn't have ended because honestly, this film is amazing. It is art. <laughs> and that's a half star. And that's a half star. <laughs> wow. Well, mine is exactly the opposite and uh, in every way but ends on the same note it's a five star from ollie pops who says i've thought about this movie a lot over the past few days the cgi baby is horrifying the dialogue is outrageous the list of plot holes is endless and the new characters introduced are completely two-dimensional and to top it all off the climactic battle that the entire series has built towards is actually in a dream but i can't stop thinking about it it's had such a visceral impact on me. These movies are literally unlike anything I have ever seen before. And the pure despair I felt watching Carlisle and Jasper, quote, die was the most raw emotion I felt from cinema in a long time. If these characters can evoke such feelings within me, then it proves that, the, that these are something more than just bad vampire movies. They are an experience. They are Twilight. I'm sure she meant it as a whisper, Ollie Pops. What a perfect sure. way to to end this franchise though <laughs> they are twilight except for the one five-star review from lucian who says in all caps elliot cullen infinity war in his brain <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awesome all right thanks letterboxd you know what i got the other day pete stephen king's latest want to borrow it do you know who you're talking to what do you mean andy when's the last time i read a paper book it's been like decades i would much rather use kindle or better yet audible what am i thinking i don't read paper books anymore either i am an audiobook guy all the way for those of you looking to listen to the books behind the films we talk about here on the next reel get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible it's the way to go season 12 was all about catching up on big franchises some of which were based on books that are on audible series like twilight with twilight eclipse new moon and breaking dawn all on audible our train spotting series has both train spotting and porno welsh's follow-up book that largely inspired t2 train spotting we've got the three lord of the rings books and our member bonus episodes the hustler and the color of money so many great movies from so many great sources and they're all on audible producing this podcast is a lot of fun but takes a lot of time We've dropped the dynamically inserted ads because they're so annoying and have no connection to our content. Plus, they just jam those things in wherever they see fit. We listened to you when you said you didn't like them. So now we're directly appealing to you, our dear listener. 
please consider an Audible subscription to help support The Next Reel and our family of podcasts. I have been using Audible along with my family for decades now. I love it, and I have read hundreds of books through it. I couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it too. Head to thenextreel.com slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out, and you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. So much great material available. Dive in with a free 30-day trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible.